want to know what's going to happen in the future? How's this big story going to end? Well, the Bible gives us an idea of what to expect. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. As we look back on history and we compare it to Bible prophecies, it's very easy to see how the prophecies ultimately found fulfillment in what came to pass. However, as we look at Bible prophecy and look into the future, it's much more difficult to understand exactly how things will fit together in what we might call future history. Many people spend significant portions of their lives studying the many biblical texts that give us a view into this future, and we're going to do our best to present the most accurate view of what the Bible has to say about what's to come. With that said, let's get back to the story. Remember John, the disciple of Jesus, has been banished to the island Patmos. And it's here on the island just off the coast of modern Turkey that he receives perhaps the most detailed account of what's to come that the Bible offers. We're going to present what he saw and amplify it with other texts that shed additional light on these events. As he's invited to see what will take place, the first thing that he sees is the time of tribulation that will come upon the world sometime in the future. During this seven-year time period, we see intense suffering and affliction for the people on earth at that time. We see war, inflation, famine, disease, destruction of land and sea, among many other afflictions. This seven-year tribulation period will be the most intense period of suffering that the world has ever seen. This time of trouble ends, though, with the return of Christ to earth, who is installed as king in the city of Jerusalem to rule for a thousand years. During this time period, his kingdom is enriched and expands in power as we see all the nations of the world seek the favor of King Jesus, ruling on David's throne in Jerusalem within the land of Canaan. It's at this time that we see the fullness of the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants that we've spoken about so much. So let's briefly go through each and see how it's all being fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant involved three basic components. Do you remember the three words that we used? Land, seed, and blessing. As we look at each of these, we can see how they are fulfilled in Jesus Messiah. First, we see that in this thousand-year period of time that we call the Millennial Kingdom, that Israel, the people, will finally completely inherit the land of Canaan. This fulfills the land part of the Abrahamic covenant. Second, we know that the seed of Abraham became a nation of people, and that those with faith in Jesus are counted as additional seed of Abraham as they demonstrate the faith of their forefather. Remember we talked about Abraham's faith that resulted in righteousness in step two of our run-through. All of these seed of Abraham, both by flesh and by faith, fulfill the second part of the Abrahamic covenant. Finally, we know that one of his seed, Jesus Messiah, finally accomplished the third part of the covenant, the blessing to the nations. In being a substitute on the cross, he made his righteousness available to all people from all nations who put their faith in him. The Abrahamic covenant of land, seed, and blessing is completely fulfilled in Jesus and in his thousand-year kingdom. Now let's briefly shift to the Davidic covenant. Do you remember the three basic components of the Davidic covenant? Remember David was promised a throne, a dynasty, and an everlasting kingdom. Jesus fulfills all three of these components with his thousand-year reign over Israel. He is the offspring of David, who achieves dominion over Israel in the land of Canaan on David's throne, 
The throne, the dynasty, and the everlasting kingdom culminate in Jesus. Finally, we have one more promise to be fulfilled in Jesus, and that's the promise from the very beginning. The promise that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent, signaling the serpent Satan's ultimate defeat. So let's get back into the narrative to see how this is ultimately fulfilled. At the end of this glorious thousand-year reign of Jesus, rebellion is stirred up again. Satan again deceives people of the nations of the world and prepares to battle the kingdom of Jesus and a battle for the city of Jerusalem. But get this, the battle never actually happens. Let me read to you what happens from Revelation chapter 20. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. After these thousand years that prove the worthiness and goodness of Jesus' reign and rule, the final phase is the ultimate defeat of Satan, when he is bound to torment forever. Satan, the great deceiver of mankind from the beginning in the garden, is finally subject to the justice of God. Satan is defeated and made powerless forever, never again able to deceive mankind as he is thrown into the lake of fire. After this thousand-year kingdom and the temporary rebellion, we see one of the many judgments that will happen in this last time period of earth. These judgments will all involve the dividing of humanity into the two categories we mentioned a few weeks ago in episode 7. The division is between those who have faith in Jesus and those who don't. Those who by faith placed their sin on Jesus and received his perfect righteousness, and those who died in their own sin, not accepting the solution that Jesus provided. And the place for each of these two categories couldn't be more different. For those who are not believers in Jesus, the Bible says they will be thrown into the lake of fire, the same place where Satan was thrown, a place of torment and anguish. For those who are believers, well, let's continue in the narrative. After the final judgment, God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and he lives with believers. As part of John's vision that we've been describing, John narrates this. He says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. People with faith in Jesus are reunited with their God, no longer subject to the pains, sorrows, and difficulties of life. But that's not all. As we come to the end of the Bible story, we see an echo of the beginning. We've already seen that God recreates the heavens and the earth, but we see something else too. We see a garden, a garden city in fact, with a familiar tree in it. John narrates this, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of Jesus down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. 
The tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden in the beginning is now free to eat from in the new garden city. The people saved by God now live eternally with God as he rules and he provides. Believers live onward to enjoy the new eternal earth with God among them. From here, you'd think that the last words of the Bible are something cathartic like the end of a good story, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not how the Bible ends. Instead, the Bible ends with an invitation, and the invitation is essentially this. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life freely. The gift that Jesus gives to believers is a free gift offered to anyone thirsty enough to desire it and receive it. An eternal, abundant, righteous life has been offered to you by Jesus. And the question posed to all readers of the Bible and you, listener, is this. Are you thirsty? Tune in next time as we take a short detour while we rest from this 10-step run through the Bible. Over the next week, we're going to answer some questions about Jesus before we slow down again for a jog through the Bible. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Do you have a question about the Bible? It could be featured on a future show. You can submit a question by going to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and clicking on the podcast page. There you can submit a text or audio question. We'd love to hear from you. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.